Welcome to Caffeine, Crime and Canines, a podcast brought to you by two girls who love their dogs, love coffee, but most importantly, love true crime. Hello. Hi, Lucky. How are you going? I'm good. How are you? Good. What are you doing? Oh, not much. Nothing? No, nothing exciting, really. I just got back from I went out to brunch um today oh my gosh what's the place called I actually should have written it down so I could tell everyone oh I think it was a merry men it's in like Hampton had really good coffee oh yeah and then I was driving home and you know why I like love pink cafes yeah. I was by myself right, driving home and I passed this pink cafe and it was so cute I couldn't help myself I stopped and got myself a takeaway coffee <laughs> Uh, it wasn't as good as the one we had yesterday or where I was this morning. And I don't even know what the place was called, but the cup was like full pink. The coffee machine was pink. So wow. it was worth it for that. I'm still thinking about that sandwich I had yesterday. Oh, <laughs> it was so good. I cannot believe how much you enjoyed that. <laughs> I'm still thinking about that coffee. Like I personally loved that coffee. Like I drive there just to get coffee from there. It was amazing. What's a place called again? I actually we should tell our fourth chapter. So our fourth chapter. High Street. Mm. Uh if yeah. anyone's in Melbourne. Um yeah. But other than that, like I feel like we talked about everything yesterday. Um uh, we had a bit of a whinge about the Taylor Swift tickets which we both uh, again missed out on. I can't even like, talk so about they it. Were, I mean I really didn't even know why they were releasing more. It was obstructed seat, like obstructed view. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have really cared about. Yeah, neither. You know, oh well. The thing is, I don't know anyone that got tickets on Friday. This is what pisses me off even more. Like, who the heck got these tickets? Yeah. I can't. I can't. Do you know what? Like, even like if we were to buy them off other people, like closer to, it's like, how do you even trust that people aren't going to scam you? I know. I almost got scammed on Facebook because, listen to this, right, someone hacked somebody else's Facebook and then they put up, hey, I've got four tickets to Taylor Swift. So because you personally think you know that person, it's obviously safe to get it off them, but it was a hacker. Had hacked somebody's, do you know what I mean, like Facebook account. I'm just, I can't. uh, The only thing is I'm quite sure they're doing a resale, so as in like through ticket tech i don't even know whether that will be in one hit whether you just need to keep an eye on it whether you can get lucky that way but honestly anyone's got any idea how to get our hands on these tickets yeah. please let us know yeah yeah i mean uh, through ticket tech i'd definitely buy some but like are they yes. allowed to sell them at a higher price or like no it's it's got to be good. like a um i think maybe 10 percent. but i'm so like i'm a little bit angry but at the same time maybe I would have been scammed but right after she like the first batch went on sale like so months ago I was so upset and I was on marketplace looking and this lady had put up four seats and she had like all the details she's like I'll send it right through to you they were expensive right would have for the four seats it was like I don't know, it was way over a grand, right? And I was like, yeah. oh, do I, don't I? Obviously, I don't know this lady. And I, was say, I said to her, I'm like, I'm really worried about getting scammed. Like, I was just I'm honest, right? She's like, no, I promise I wouldn't scam you. Anyway, and I was like, oh. And everyone, like I told Danny, I told the girls at work, they're like, nah, nah, don't do it, don't do it. Anyway, so this 
these tickets now have been sold. They were sold within like I so I messaged her. They were sold within half an hour after that, and she's never put up. I've been keeping an eye, and it sounds crazy, but I've been watching her Facebook to see if she puts any others up, just for my own thing. Like if she does, then she's a scammer, but she hasn't, and I'm like, whoa, oh. fudge! Like maybe those tickets were legit. But like a thousand dollars is a lot to to risk. Yeah, like, like you know, if it is a scam or not, you know. I know, I just, oh. And I've even, like, I told you, I think I told you that I was, like, entering all these competitions on, like, the radios, any competition I could find. I was writing, like, you know, 20 words or less, why you want Taylor Swift tickets? My goodness, I've tried everything. So, <laughs> anyway. Oh, well, we'll see. Keeping that little light alive just a tiny bit, but not enough to, like, keep me up at night, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yes. I mean, there's no other news. I mean, we should talk about. Um, the taking care of Maya yes. outcome that's recently happened, where they won their lawsuit against the hospital. Like amazing, twenty million dollars, which is amazing. Like you know, the three of them will never have to work in their lives now, which is great. Um, at what cost though? Like, oh, oh yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean that's as good as it could be, I suppose. I think like I feel like they didn't really care about the money. It was more just like the acknowledgement that they'd made a mistake. Exactly. And they I still completely were agree. still weren't acknowledging in the courts that they'd made a mistake. I think it was just at least, you know, justice was served in a sense. Mm-mm. Well, I think it's massive that they were even able to take like a massive hospital like that down. So Yeah. Exactly. It's something, but yeah. Such mm. a sad story that one. Yeah. I actually just wanted to say a quick shout out to a few people that have bought us a coffee recently. Yes. So Mango, who is one of my best friends, that's her like code name. Because I think I told <laughs> you that she told me once, and this is like going back 10 plus years, that when after she eats a mango, she puts the skin on her face because it's like good for you. And I thought it was the funniest thing ever. Like, have you ever heard of that before? I've no. never heard of this. No. I thought it was odd. Anyway, so that's her now nickname. But um, yeah, so thank you to her. An anonymous person also bought us some coffees, and I wish I knew so bad who that was to say thank you, but thank you to that person. And also Deb bought us some coffees, and she also sent us a really lovely DM. So thank you, Deb. That's nice. Thank you so much. Yes, and I know Lockie mentions it every week, but if you want to support the podcast for free, you can do that by writing us a five-star review because, honestly, that really helps us. So, yes. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it does anything, but I think it really, like, um, it really, like, you plays with the algorithm for, like, for the podcast to be featured and, you know, like, things like that. So, um, yeah, an easy way to support us. Yes. And that's all I've got for you this week. I know. We're a bit boring, aren't we? We are. Yeah. We've got to not um, catch up before we record. I feel like we need to catch yeah. up after we record. <laughs> um, Actually, we should maybe update listeners that we did catch up yesterday because Karina and I booked um our flights. We are going to New Zealand together to go to our friend Danny's wedding, which is exciting. But um, because we'll be spending like kind of the weekend together, we will definitely be doing some lives and we're actually talking that we might even go to a few <laughs> of the um like locations of some of the cases we've talked about when we're around like I know we've at least done a few New Zealand ones but um we might even just do a few lives in a few locations and, and things like that so 
Um, if there's any that. other New Zealand listeners or anyone that has somewhere they want us to visit and document it, let us know. Yes. It's going to be so fun. I'm so excited, honestly. I know, me too. But should we get stuck into this week's case? Yes, let's do it. Okie dokie. Let's get an update on Jill Maher's disappearance now. We're joined by Lisa Maximovic, who's outside the shop where that CCTV footage was taken early on Saturday morning. Lisa, good morning to you. Police pouring over that video this morning to try to find any clues to Jill's disappearance. That's right, Michael, and it will help retrace her final steps. And just to illustrate what we know of her final movements, we know that she crossed the road after leaving Bar Etiquette with her friends. She walked north on Sydney Road until she got to this store, the, a bridal boutique store, and CCTV footage captured her at this point being approached by a man. They spoke for about 40 to 45 seconds, which police said seemed casual by appearance, that possibly they didn't know each other and they were engaging in casual conversation. She continued to walk past the store after speaking to him for 40 to 45 seconds and stopped here, got out her phone, seemed to be to fumbling around with it, and police say she might have then been speaking to her brother in Perth. But once she took her final steps past the boutique store, She's not been seen since, and police are hoping that this CCTV footage and people coming forward, perhaps as eyewitnesses, will help piece together her last movements. And that CCTV footage, which we've all seen, Lisa, has led police to uh, concentrate uh, much greater on on their suspicion that she may have been abducted. That's right. They're particularly interested in talking to the man in a blue hoodie, jeans and sneakers, who was seen doubling back across that CCTV footage. He's described as being in around his 30s, but it is quite good vision there and police are hoping that anyone who knows him or the man himself will come forward. They say because of this CCTV footage, they're moving more and more towards the likelihood that she was abducted. Now that only increases fears that she's met with foul play, having now not been seen for six days. Police are also very interested in speaking to a number of other people who were also captured on that tape. There were another six people aside from Jill Ma captured on this CCTV footage from the bridal store and police want those people to come forward. We believe that one of those people may have already contacted police. But one interesting development this morning, social commentator and comedian and writer Catherine Devney has written on her Twitter page that she herself was approached by a man matching that exact description. She said on her Twitter page that in July of this year she was riding her bike down this same road, Sydney Road, Brunswick, and was grabbed by a man who tried to pull her off her bike. She said when she saw this vision last night, she said she believed it to be the same man. She contacted Crime Stoppers yesterday. So this week we'll be discussing the case of Jill Ma. Gillian McKeon, who later became known as Jill Ma, was born on October 30th, 1982 in Ireland in this little industrial town. I was going to attempt to pronounce it, but I don't even think I should. I don't think I could because you know how all their letters are pronounced different too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to butcher it. Do-he-da is what I'm going to do. I don't know. Anyway, it's a little industrial town in Ireland. Uh, Her family consisted of her parents, George and Edith, as well as her brother, Michael. In 1990, the family moved to Perth, Australia, following George's work. 
During her time in Australia, Jill attended Bull Creek Primary School and Rose Moyne High School before returning to Ireland with her family in 1996. Upon her return to Ireland, Jill continued her education. She again went back to that um, little town I was telling you about um, and attended the grammar school there and St. Oliver's Community College. Her parents parents would eventually move back to Australia in 2004, but Jill chose to stay in Ireland and pursue her Bachelor of Arts degree at the University College Dublin. While studying, she worked at a high-end store called Brown Thomas. She told friends a highlight was meeting Kylie Minogue. How cool is that? So cool. I feel like at that time, Kylie was like exclusively living in the UK as well. Yeah, it was massive, you know, especially because mm. I guess Jill had lived in Australia, so everyone mm, in Australia yeah. knows Kylie Minogue, so it just makes it a little bit more special. But Jill found it hilarious that the pop star was actually shorter than her and she would joke about it. Jill also worked in a student bar where she would later meet her future husband, Tom Ma, through friends. He, so was he Irish? Yes. Yeah, he was. So Jill and Tom tied the knot in 2008 and formally relocated to Australia the following year. They settled in Brunswick, Melbourne, which is known to be a vibrant neighbourhood just five kilometres away from the CBD. Brunswick is known for its boho artsy atmosphere, attracting a mix of alternative and hippie communities, as well as a strong Greek and Italian presence dating back to the 1960s. This diverse neighbourhood, particularly along Sydney Road, offers a rich blend of cuisine, culture and a vibrant street filled with like cafe, bars, live music, charity shops. It's just, I feel like it's like a happening place in Melbourne. I mean, I feel like it's not anymore after this, but. Oh, yes. I feel like every time I go down Sydney Road now, I'm just like, it just feels eerie. I don't know, something about it. I'm just still. Yeah, no, I agree. I do agree. Jill secured a position at the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, which is the ABC, where she took on administrative tasks and occasionally made appearances on air. She was well known for her friendly and sociable nature, always eager to make new friends. Jill had a knack of being a bit clumsy and goofy, but everyone that knew her said she did have style. And I love this story that one of her friends told, right? And I just found it so funny. I had to let you know, right? So apparently Jill actually had slipped on a banana peel and she took pride (laughs) in it, I feel like. I feel like that's something you would do. (laughs) Totally. Maybe that's why I love this story so much. It is totally something that would happen to me. Do you know, like, sorry to pause the case, but the the story you told me about you that I will never forget in my life is when you were were walking from work to the train station swinging your umbrella and the umbrella got caught in some guy's shoe. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's how it happened. Oh my god! And the tip was so caught in his shoe. He had to like we had to like unlodge it from his shoe. How does that even happen? <laughs> so funny. Oh my gosh, that is actually hilarious. 
So Jill dreamed of creating her very own comedy series. I think she thought she was quite funny as well, which obviously a lot of people around her thought she was funny. So I love that. In August 2012, Jill traveled back to Ireland for for a three-week holiday. However, her trip was abruptly cut short when her father suffered a stroke. She immediately flew back to Perth to spend time with her family, making her father promise he would recover so that her future children would have a grandfather to play with. How sad. So she returned to Melbourne on September 16th, 2012. On Friday, September 21st, 2012, around 5pm, 29-year-old Jill left her workplace at ABC South Bank headquarters with a colleague. Her intention was to grab a quick drink before joining other co-workers to celebrate a birthday. This celebration unfolded at the Fad Gallery in Chinatown. Later that evening, Jill and three of her friends hopped into a taxi, making their way to Brunswick Green Bar on Sydney Road, and this was around 9pm. After Brunswick Green closed its doors at 1am, Jill, accompanied by a friend who was celebrating the news of expecting a second child, decided to cap off the night with one last drink. They chose to visit Bar Etiquette, and this was also located on Sydney Road, but is now closed. During her night out, she reached out to Tom, inviting him to join her and her friends, but he had fallen asleep on the couch. Around 1.30am, Jill parted ways with her colleague and started her short walk back home, which she shared with Tom. Despite her colleagues offer to drop her home in the taxi, she declined, insisting that it was just a quick five-minute stroll. Oh, it literally was. It was like hundreds of metres. I know. Now, her house was located in Lux Lane, and this is less than a 10-minute walk up the busy, well-lit Sydney Road, followed by a turn down Hope Street. Now, during her walk home, she spoke with her brother briefly just to check in on her dad. When Tom woke up, and remember, he had fallen asleep on the couch, so he's woken up on the couch. In the early hours of Saturday morning to find Jill had not returned home, he began to worry. It was unusual for her to have such a late night without informing him. He attempted to call and message Jill repeatedly. I read that it was like up to 80 times. He was like, you know, kept trying her phone, messaging. Yeah, he was really trying to get in touch with her. Uh, But there was no answer. Worried, he contacted her colleagues who informed him that Jill was last seen heading home at around 1.30 a.m. By this stage, it was like 4, 4.30 a.m. And Tom decided to go out on foot and retrace Jill's steps in search of her. Her colleagues turned to social media for clues to see if anyone had spotted Jill. After failing to locate her by 6 a.m., Tom decided to contact the police. Initially, the police operated under the assumption that perhaps Jill had had a bit too much to drink and she would eventually reappear. But that by was a that Sorry. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's hard because I guess she's 29. Like, they probably don't know sort of like the relationship 
between her and her husband, you know. So, I mean, I think this would happen often where people report other people missing after a big night and they've ended up because I mean this is 2012 now maybe not as much because everyone's got their phones and back then everyone would have but I feel like now everyone's a lot more in touch 10 years later Mm -hmm. so um but no I completely agree by the Saturday evening though they began to take her disappearance seriously investigating her bank and phone activity which hadn't been used since the night she disappeared and I think that is the biggest red flag right there you know on Sunday, authorities made a public appeal for information via Crime Stoppers. By this point, Jill's family and friends had created a Facebook page called Help Us Find Jill Ma, which quickly accumulated 90,000 followers. I think that is huge. Yeah. But do you remember this, Lockie? Because obviously, yeah. like, we're from Melbourne. I, I really remember this happening, you know? Like, yeah, I've got a know- clear memory of it. I was talking to um, my best friend Cass and she grew up in Melbourne, you know, and especially in this like Brunswick area. She went, she was out on Sydney Road, like not far away from where this happened the night before. Oh my you know, gosh. Like, yeah. So like, you know, if, you know, if it happened differently. Like it could have been anyone, I suppose. But yeah, I just feel like, yeah, I do. I do remember it happening. and. I think I was living in Melbourne at that point. Um, yeah, I was, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it could have been anyone. It could have been us, I suppose. I know. And it's. I think that the biggest thing is, like, you don't hear these sort of things happening in Melbourne often. No. So, obviously, it became a big deal because of that. But we do have, like, a false sense of security here. Like, I really think that because this sort of yeah. stuff doesn't really happen. Yeah. So on Monday, the police discovered Jill's handbag in a secu- in a secluded, sorry, laneway off Hope Street. And remember, this is the street she would have taken to got to get home. Yeah. The thing was, the police had thoroughly searched that area previously and thought her bag might have been planted there to throw off the investigation. The handbag still contained her bank cards, but her phone remained missing. And I just want to tell you something because I know we were just talking about how, you know, we remember this happening and I feel so bad. But honestly, when I first heard about her bag being found, I thought it was definitely her husband. Like that he had planted the the husband. I don't know why. And I mean, let's be honest, it's usually like nine out of ten times it is the husband. And I read this crazy stat on Laura Richards' um, Insta page the other day. You know that five women in Australia were murdered recently over a ten-day span by males um, that were connected to them? Yeah, it's just wild. It is. But in my mind, when that bag was found, after they had searched it, I'm like, who else would have access? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it sort of makes sense, like, in my mind. But, um, yeah, it was actually later revealed that a shopkeeper had found the bag on that Saturday morning and had taken it with him, unaware that it was related to a missing person. And, and upon, yeah, and upon learning about Jill's disappearance from his daughter, he must have freaked out and he returned the bag back to the location where he found it. How nuts is that? But he probably was too scared to say, like, I found this. And especially because it probably was a little bit dodgy that he found it if he went, was found it to, like, go through it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. 
So he thought it would be easier just to dump it back where he found it. Tom naturally became the prime suspect at first, but the police diligently searched their apartment and car, early on eliminating him as a suspect through CCTV footage because they had actually pulled, obviously, the footage from where they lived and Jill hadn't returned home that night. And they used his, like, the tracking on both Jill's phone and Tom's phone to see, you know, if they at any stage sort of cross paths. Yeah. At 4.30 a.m. on that Saturday morning when Jill disappeared, Tom's phone was moving up and down Sydney uh, Sydney Road Sorry, while he searched for Jill while Jill's phone was travelling away from the area. And I'm going to get into more on that shortly because this is so clever how they actually find, do you know what I mean, like their main suspect. Yeah, and so like his story checked out very early on by all yes. of that evidence, yeah. Yeah, and this is within days. Like as I said, I think by this stage, I think they really searched the house and everything, maybe like Monday, Tuesday. And remember, she's disappeared the early hours of Saturday morning. Yeah, I think within the week we'd known what had happened to her. Yeah, which I think is amazing. Like they did such a great job in the end tracking. Yeah. Like, you know, following all leads. So the police reviewed all available CCTV footage in the area to retrace Jill's movements. The footage captured Jill leaving the office with her co-worker at 5.04, which I mentioned earlier, right? And there was other footage of her, like, showing her passing an adult novelty store on her way to Etiquette Bar. Now, obviously, they knew where she was, like, the early parts of the night, but this is where things start to get a little bit interesting, and it's when she sort of parted ways with her co-worker. So at 1.34 a.m., CCTV recorded Jill Pass in Chemist Warehouse, where she briefly stopped to engage with three people, having a conversation with one of them a, and a woman who she hugged. So I think she yeah. must have just sort of, like, I don't known know, them. known them, had a chat with them. By this time, Sydney Road was starting to quieten down. At 1.36am, CCTV footage showed Jill passing crust pizza. Her pace, now I've read this, that her pace remained brisk and she appeared to be unaffected by alcohol. I think that the people that she stopped to speak with as well said, like she might have had a bit to drink, but she wasn't like wasted. Yeah. Further along her route home, CCTV recorded her walking past the sagging sign of Sam Michaelokas. I should know this because it's it's a great guy. Michaelokas. Anyway, real estate agency. And anyone Greek's going to be like, Karina, you should totally know how to say this. I can't figure this out. But anyway. That's fine. Um, However, it was footage from the Duchess Boutique that provided a massive breakthrough. The CCTV cameras captured a man in a blue hoodie passing by the store multiple times with the final encounter occurring around 1.42 a.m. This last capture, right, showed the man engaging in conversation with Jill just outside the boutique. Jill had actually stopped there for a moment. It looks like she was maybe looking down at her phone and he's sort of chatting with her. Like, obviously you don't know exactly what's going on, but she's definitely sort of stopped and looked down at her phone. 
after she does this, she sort of vanished from the camera's view. And this is just moments after the man vanishes. So they're heading in the same direction. And the Duchess Boutique was literally 400 meters away from her home. On Tuesday, the 26th, the police made a bold decision to release this footage to the public, fully aware of the risks involved. They appealed to anyone featured in the footage or knew, like anyone who knew the people in the footage to come forward. Among those captured in the footage was a man in a red jacket who promptly stepped forward. He was a local resident who encountered Jill and the man in the blue hoodie while he was on his way to grab a late-night kebab. (laughs) Classic. Yeah. The only information he could offer was that Jill didn't pass the kebab store, which was located a little bit further up on Sydney Road, as he had sat in the window eating his kebab, like facing out onto Sydney Road, and he is sure that he would have seen her. Yeah. While pursuing leads to identify this man in the blue hoodie, the police made a critical discovery while tracking Jill's phone. This is what I was talking about earlier. This is wild, right? Mm. So police were cross-referencing all the regist- like the car regos that were used on the toll road during that period when Jill's phone was detected in that vicinity. And that toll road, sorry, is that for those that live in Melbourne, it's the um bridge as you're going out towards the airport with all the holes in it you know the bridge with the oh is that the one because i read one of these but i didn't know which one it was oh interesting yeah because that's the one that's got the cameras and that's the one that had the footage of you know it's actually got video footage of the cars going through yeah Hmm. so good So they found that Adrian Bailey, a notorious sex offender with an extensive record of rape and violence, had a transaction recorded on that toll road at the same time Jill's phone was passing through the area on Moreland Road. This critical piece of information allowed them to trace Adrian's phone, which had travelled alongside Jill's phone to Gisborne, but only Adrian's phone had returned back. And you know, Karina, you know Gisborne is 10 minutes from me. Is it actually? So, do you know where this, like, oh, okay. It is literally, it's within a few kilometres of my house. Oh my, I had no idea, Lockie. No idea. Yes, I want to ask you stuff about this later. Just remind me. Yeah, yeah. So while police interviewed Adrian, investigators conducted a search of his residence and uncovered a vital piece of evidence connecting Adrian to Jill, and this was her broken SIM card. Right? And... They had his girlfriend had actually so this Adrian guy had a girlfriend right and she had actually found it in his pants while she was doing some washing but she had no idea what it was. Now Adrian originally denied any involvement in Jill's disappearance. Police have said that he was displaying a high level of confidence and composure, but after police revealed all their damning evidence, he confessed. 
Adrian then accompanied police in a car for two hours, guiding them to Jill's lifeless body, which they found in a shallow grave located located sorry fifty kilometers away in Gisborne South. Adrian faced charges the following day. So I do want to quickly talk about Adrian for a little bit because I think this is a really important part of the case, even though like I'm obviously, you know, like it's you'll see why it's important and it makes my blood boil, but I'm just going to tell you about him. So 41-year-old Adrian Ernest Bailey, and he was originally, his surname was originally Edwards, but he had changed his name via deep hole. And I think because he was trying to be dodgy, right? Because he had charges in the past. So he was sort of like trying to remain anonymous. Anyway, this guy had a long history of rape and violence and was actually on parole when he murdered Jill. When Adrian was just 19 years old, he raped his sister's 16-year-old friend. And this is at his home, right? I know. So he had invited this girl over to his house, pretending that he needed help to plan his then-pregnant wife's surprise birthday. And, yes, he was married, right, and he's had, like, multiple partners and he's got four children. And, Lockie, you know, this is the craziest thing of all that. Literally, like, I couldn't stop thinking about this week. His children would be, like, similar ages to us. How, like, I just feel so bad for their children. I know. His children, sorry, knowing that that is their, his father. I know. Well, I think, obviously, both in both circumstances, he he didn't stay with the mother so i'm sure she's do you know what i mean sort of sheltered them from all this but it's so effed up how crazy is that yeah so two months later so this is after the the first rape right two months later he attempted to rape a 17 year old girl as she walked home from a bus stop in december that same year so we're talking about 1990 he abducted and raped a 16 year old hitchhiker In 1991, he was arrested and convicted of sexual assault regarding these offences, serving just 22 months of his five-year sentence. Like, what is going on here? How has he only, how has he only had five-year sentence and he's only served, do you know what I mean, 22 months? This is crazy. You know that he actually said, he made a comment himself that, oh, they should have never let me out. Yes, I saw that. Yeah. Crazy. So in 2000, he began raping sex workers and he would take them to like deserted alleys, right, and park his car, like the passenger side of the car, so close to the wall so they were unable to escape when he'd violently like attack and rape them. He was jailed for eight years after obviously – he was found like to be the culprit of this with the judge saying that society needs to be protected from him. Adrian made parole after serving his sentence for the rapes and served no, there was no consequences, sorry, served after he like King hit a man unconscious outside a DeLong cafe in February, 2012. So this is that same year. And he was originally given three months for this hit, right? But it appears that the he appealed, sorry, the ruling and he was free to roam free. Like they literally just, there was no consequences for this. And imagine if there 
were. Like this whole situation could have been different. So Adrian was out on that Friday night on September 21st, 2012 for a work function. He had started at the Quiet Man Irish Hotel with his girlfriend, but later moved to a more relaxed club called Lounge where he got into an argument with his girlfriend regarding his possessiveness and jealousy. She pretended, this, this his girlfriend, right, she pretended she needed to use the bathroom, but instead she left the bar in a taxi ditching him. CCTV footage captured him outside that club lounge, right, angrily pacing as he attempted to contact his girlfriend, like, via his mobile phone. You know, it's a wonder, like, if, like, did that girlfriend, did she save her own life by doing that? Like, he's obviously that much of a psychopath. Yeah. He killed her that night. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying that, like, anyone deserved to die, but it's like, I wonder how that girlfriend feels now with that decision that she made. Yeah, to ditch him. But obviously mm. they they made – well, they did make up because I'm quite sure that after – I don't have this in my notes, but I'll just quickly tell you. So after – when he returned home, after he took Jill out, right, like to bury her, when he came back in, he made up with his girlfriend. And as I said, she was the one doing his washing when she found that SIM card. So obviously they made up after that night. Yeah. But he must have just been in like a foul mood and it's – like Jill has nothing to do with this, but it seems as though he took it out on Jill. On her, yeah. Yeah. So in his interview, Adrian claimed that after this altercation with his girlfriend, he spent two hours searching for her before returning home. And Lockie, he actually, I could not believe this, he had the audacity to say to the police, right, that women shouldn't be walking the streets alone. That's why he was looking for his girlfriend. I know. However, it was revealed that he had made his way after the fight, right? He had made his way back to his granny flat in Coburg. And I'm guessing he may have been thinking that the girl, like his girlfriend may have been there. But when he got there and she wasn't there, he changed into that famous blue hoodie and headed to Sydney Road. After first approaching Jill outside the Duchess boutique, Adrian followed Jill, attempting to kiss her. And when she turned onto Hope Street, Adrian seized the opportunity and forcibly grabbed her, dragged her to the end of the driveway, which led to an alleyway behind the stores on Sydney Road. There, he sexually assaulted her and ultimately strangled her when she resisted and threatened to call the police. I I did read that this assault in the back alleyway thing lasted for an hour or two as well. Really? Yeah. I actually did not know that. You know what, though? It would make sense because I do have, like, the sort of the timing about how – you know, when he's gone back to – I'll, I'll get into it in a sec. But something which I oh, I cannot believe is that – well, I can believe it because I guess where the location is, if this happened suburb, in suburbia, it would be a lot different. But neighbours had actually heard screams, but they mistakenly assumed they were just like drunk people. So Adrian also had the nerve to claim that he didn't mean to hurt. I'm putting that in like the freaking, in the bunnies, right? Jill, he just wanted to rape her. 
Like, oh, what, how, how is that not that... hurting? Oh. Yes, I know, right? So after the murder, Adrian returned to his little flat to retrieve a shovel and his car. He was back at the crime scene at 4.22 a.m., taking just a few minutes to load Jill into his car's trunk before driving away. And this is, so this would make sense, Lockie, because if he attacked her, like, let's just say quarter to two. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so her body was there laying there while he went to get a shovel. Yes. And it was within half an hour of her husband trying to find her along sydney road i not well we're mean? tracing like, her steps. just missed her just missed her you know what i mean literally I mean, just missed her you know she had passed away by that point but you know it would have saved all of the people that came after it i suppose yeah it's uh it's actually it's crazy it's heartbreaking like poor tom and not only that he woke up i think that he originally started messaging around 1 32 so this would have been around the time that the attack was taking place yeah now at the time all of this was going down there was a suppression order that made it illegal to reveal the criminal history of adrian can you imagine this like yeah. Anyway, Darren. Because it was sexual assault crime, like sexual crimes. Like they don't want the victims to be exposed, but I still, I still don't agree. But is that, uh, I wonder if that is the reason. I, I think it was more because they don't want him to be found guilty. You know what I mean? Like an assumption. Yeah, like exactly. That's what I think, but I'm not sure to tell you the truth. But I do love this, right? So, you know, Darren Hinch. That yeah. controversial broadcast. I don't know if you know this, right? So he actually released all this information regarding Adrian and his criminal past, right? And he was con- yes, he was convicted. Yeah, he actually and went to jail he- for it. Yes, he chose to managed. serve yeah a fifty day jail like fifty days in jail over paying a hundred thousand dollar fine. And mm-hmm. something wild is that Darren was housed in the same jail on the same floor, nearly a, in the adjacent cell of Adrian. You know, um, Adrian is at, and still to this day, is at Barwon Prison, uh, which is um, about an hour from Melbourne um, towards Geelong. And Monkey, my husband, who worked at Barwon Prison for a good few months, um, like knows the area that he was housed in as well like it's really? it's just crazy is it, like is it high security like is he i hope he's living like a freaking like i don't even I know mean, what... it's a maximum security prison but i think prison in australia is not what you'd expect they have really good facilities they have basketball courts and gymnasiums and um you know what monkey was working on over there was a new kind of area of the prison where people that were too dangerous to be released into the public were given free housing within the prison grounds so building houses for these people what the fuck you're kidding Mm -hmm. so i think someone like him adrian bailey i don't think he will ever be released from prison and he will be given a beautiful little unit you know like i don't think he can leave the prison but you're given you're not a prisoner anymore. You're just living within the grounds. This makes me fume because in my head I was hoping that he was sleeping on like a steel, 
like no mattress on a you know like a steel bed and freaking had to poo in like a bucket like i don't know i i wanted him to be living like in filth which i don't like he is filth you know and that's what you know monkey said like they have like a full-size basketball court they have full gym they have the facilities are just not what you would expect well that sucks and i bet you it's a taxpayer paying for this shit as well yeah ah so it took six days to catch Adrian, six hours for him to confess, and six minutes for a judge to remand him into custody. I just thought that was really interesting, right? Can I also just um another thing that I've, I've just remembered that I wanted to mention? So he obviously took her body out in the Gisborne area, and mm-hmm. it's I read in a news article that um, after he buried her, he had run out of petrol. And yes, I saw this. Someone passing by, he asked them, like, can you, like, I just want to go fill up my, a jerry can of petrol to fill up his car. And they drove him to a petrol station in Sunbury, which is just five minutes from my place, oh. um, to fill up his jerry can so he could drive back home. Imagine if you had him in your car after oh. that. My goodness. Mm. And, you know, because I think this is one of the things, like, the police sort of hit him with when they were questioning him, right? Because he was saying that, you know, he didn't go in that area. And they, they had him on camera, like you said, at that petrol station. Like, there was no denying that he, that was him there. And he would just be like, I can't explain that. Like, he had no it explanation. Just, it freaks me out, like, just how close to home this case is. Like, in 2012, I actually lived in Sunbury. That petrol station was the closest petrol station to my house. Like, and now I obviously still live within the area. It's, oh, it's just, it's too close to home almost. (laughs) I know. And, and I mean, here in Australia, like I said before, like, I feel like we don't think about this sort of stuff and you can't go, like, I think in America you can, right? But in Australia, you cannot find out the sex offenders around your house, can you? No. There's nothing that tells you anything like that. Like, they have privacy. I don't know why they allow this, but they literally have privacy. I have actually tried to look it up. Um, I know that there are a few, like, websites that post it. Obviously, it's illegal to do so, but people obviously find out information and and there is websites that exist that have some sex offenders that live near you. I think you can find out the number, but you don't know who they are. Um, But You know, I don't think I'd leave the house. I'd become a scaredy cat. Like, maybe it's better for me not knowing. Yeah. But then, like, now that I have Elsie, if I knew, like, say, two streets oh, over, yeah. there was a sex offender, I'd never walk, you know, never walk her down that street or, yes. like, you know yeah. what I mean? Yes, yeah, so mm. true. Well, like, you wouldn't jog down there alone, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, outside court, Tom spoke to the press, and I just want to quote what he said, because I just think it shows how he's just so impressive because as i said they even police have come out and said we sort of treated him like shit originally and he was our number one suspect and even though it only lasted a few days imagine what he was going through not knowing where jill was and he's the main suspect um so i did want to quickly read this if that's okay so quote i just want to say briefly 
that despite the fact that this is the worst thing we'll ever go through in our lives, I've been really humbled by the support from the Australian public, the fine efforts of the police and all of the friends, family who have put their lives on hold to help us out. I think this is why as well, like I never suspected him just the way he spoke. Mm. And I do remember him doing an interview where at the time where he was the suspect and just the way he spoke about how this has to happen, let's just get this search out of the way. You know, like I think that's what why I never suspected him. Yeah. I think he knew obviously that he was going to be the number number one suspect. But, yeah, it's, it's crazy that he still went on, you know, to thank the police and stuff. Like it's really sad. Yeah. So Adrian was sentenced to life in imprisonment with a non-parole period of 35 years. Because of this case, there have been changes made to the parole laws in Victoria, making it harder to win parole. There's also like an auto cancellation for serious violent offenders. So my understanding is they won't even be able to apply for parole, right? And there are new powers for the police who suspect parole has been breached. Adrian's mother has even gone on the record claiming that she had warned authorities about her son's black behavior or just about her son in general. Like she just thought that he was, do you know what I mean? Like going to get himself in or he, I don't even know what to say. Like he thought he was evil. You know what I mean? She had concerns about him and she says that she went high and told them that she had concerns and no one would listen to her yeah and she also said like she went to his parole officer like she knew there was something wrong with him you know yeah yeah so jill's murder has a has had a profound impact on both australia and ireland the outpouring of grief and support was evident through the multitude of flowers, vigils, and a public march down Sydney Road just two days after her body was found. This march was attended by approximately 30,000 people and is a testament to the deep impression that Jill's tragic death left on the community. Mm-hmm. Now, before we finish up, I do quickly want to acknowledge that even though there have been a few isolated murders in Melbourne since Jill's murder, we must remain cautious as it only takes one freak with harmful intentions. And this is something like I feel like I always tell my friends off that walk home alone at night. Yeah. And I feel bad because like you should you should be able to do it, but like I said, it just takes one freak, right? And at yeah. the same time, I do feel a little bit hypocritical because it doesn't always happen at night, and I'm always out and about alone during the day. And if someone told me, like, you know, don't go for a run, it's dangerous, I'd be like, F off, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, but I do want to throw out some tips mm-hmm. to anyone that might find themselves walking home alone at night, right? So one is to stay close to well-lit areas. Two is to trust your gut. So if you feel something is off, it's likely there is, yeah. And I, there's, I, you know, I can't even think of the case that I'm thinking of in my head, but there are so many people that before they're attacked, they say they could feel something was off. Mm-hmm. So I always say yeah. trust your gut, you know. 
avoid being distracted by your phone and earphones. Like for instance, even if you have one, like don't have, you know, music blasting walking down the street, like at least keep one ear free so you can listen out for like, you know, weird noises, footsteps, you know, ru- I don't know, rustling in the bushes, but you know, like just be aware. Or even like, I know you've said avoid using your phone, but pretend you're talking on the phone as well. Yes. Because obviously they think that someone's listening or even like if it, if, if it does be just call, like just call someone to talk them talk while you're walking like but you know what the only the only thing i was thinking about recently do you remember i don't know which girl it was i've actually got both their names here um and i cannot pronounce is it ida yeah i think so yeah yeah i I, i'm quite sure wasn't she on the phone to her sister in another country when she was attacked yes i do think that i don't know I, i feel like yeah but i Think obviously if you are in touch with someone, you know what's even better though to to share your location with a trusted friend, or just say like, "I'm walking home. I should be home in ten minutes." So yeah. at least someone knows. Even you know, plan your route and share the route with someone. Um, yeah. Obviously, scan your surroundings using like your mind and your ears like again if you hear something or see something off something as well which i think is really interesting right is walk with purpose i read that you are more likely to be victimized if you look lost or timid yeah keep your hands free so you can defend yourself if necessary i've also read as well to put your car keys all in between your fingers Yes, like, I do that. Like a weapon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do that when I'm like coming back from the station. And this is like like six o'clock at night. I'm still on edge, you know, because yeah. especially in winter, it's dark by six o'clock. And walking through a creepy car park like does not help. No. Um, if you think you are being followed, cross the street. And if the purse, and then obviously, if the person follows you across the street, then assess your options. Look for like open businesses or a populated area, but don't be afraid to get vocal. And I think this is where like you you don't want to make a big deal if you think you if you're not sure. But honestly, it's better to get vocal, especially mm-hmm. if you are yeah. in a suburban street, than just to keep quiet until it's sort of too late. You know. Mm-hmm. And run up to someone's porch light if you need to, because obviously the second the light comes on, I think that a lot of times might put off offenders. But Lockie, this one is crazy, right? Because it's not something I would have thought of, but I think it's such a good tip, right? Spit in their face because it's unexpected and it may gross them out and it leaves your DNA. And, do you know, I was actually talking about this case last week with um, some of my friends and – the two, like Monkey and my other male friend, said to me, "If you are being raped, to wet yourself." They, that's oh, what they told me. I don't really? know. I've never heard that before in my life, but that's something that they told me. So I don't know if that's. I, I don't know where it's come from, but I'm not wow. sure. Wow, I'm gonna deter look, people, or um, yeah, look that up. That's so interesting. But yeah, handy mm-hmm. tip. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously consider taking a self-defense class. That's the other tip I came across. And I have another tip that mm. I read and I actually do do it sometimes. Um, Tell me. Is, <laughs> it's actually kind of funny. <laughs> um, you have to make yourself appear unattractive 
and <laughs> the way I've had to do this before a few times on the Sorry. tram at night. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, a few sh- on the tram at night sometimes when I get a bit creeped out. What I do personally, and people are welcome to take this tip, the way I make myself appear attractive is I smile when I curl my lips and smile. Like I do like an <laughs> ugly smile. <laughs> no, if you like, because you'll you'll look like you're a little bit weird or like look a little bit less unattractive than normal. And what, I've done girl? it multiple times. Can you show me this smile? You need to show me this. I'm so curious. So if so, if you smile like normal, but then curl your lips inwards, so your lips disappear. Oh, okay, okay, got it. Yeah, yeah. So, so do you smile yeah. at the people? Sometimes or just smile or I'll in just general. Like do it. Yeah, smile in general like that. Because I have and this I've weird... done it multiple times. And and they they look away. Yeah, I think they just think, oh, what a weirdo. <laughs> that is so, so interesting. I attract yeah. freaks. You know this. Over the years, how many weird stories have I had? Freaks for some reason. It's like I wear a little sign that says, "I love freaks. Come talk to me." Because weirdos yeah. always sit next to me. Always, I'm just, I don't know what it is about me. People are like, freaks are drawn to me. And that's the thing. Like, yeah, I'm going to, maybe I'll try the, but how about if they they think that like, oh, she's crazy like me. Like, <laughs> but I will try it. Yeah. I, mean, I like, think gonna... sad. I think every woman I know has a story or multiple stories of being harassed or spoken to by someone that they don't want or it happens all the time. Like. Literally um, on Friday, I was my car was getting serviced, and I walked to Spotlight, and the like. I reckon I, three cars either bipped at me, yelled out the window something at me, or you know what I mean. Like you just you can't even walk to. I, I know. never walked to fucking Spotlight without being harassed by someone. You know, you know I've that? had someone on a train late at night ask me for their number and I said no and he like full-on had a spaz attack and was like yelling at me because I wouldn't give him his number like it happens Ah. so often it's just like it's not fair that this is how we have to live our lives but unfortunately I know can I tell you something something that happened I I can't even believe I didn't even tell you this right I think it was last week or the week before I was car shopping with my dad so I was on a busy main road with my dad Lockie Jeff I wanted to die these guys started beeping, and I'm with my dad, mind you, yeah. beeping yeah. at me, I've, and they were screaming out the window, something about, like, they've got a stiffy. Oh, my God. Like, could you imagine, like, what in what mind are these people living in? Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Why would you even say that? I was so embarrassed. I was, oh. Yeah. And I'm with my dad. It's not even, I wasn't even alone. No. It, and this like, is exactly. On a so weekly often. basis, shit like that. Yeah, the other day I was eating time. McDonald's in the car and there was a car <laughs> next to me of two tradies and they were like pointing and smiling at me and I'm like stuffing my face with McDonald's and I was like, I didn't, I didn't give a shit. Like, it's like if you, if this turns you on, you, you know, <laughs> go for it. Yeah. But like, you know, like you can't, you can't just even be pulled up at a traffic light. Like I, so many women I speak to, like when you are pulled up at traffic lights, you literally don't want to turn your head left or right just in case. You, Someone's being creepy and staring yeah. at you. Yeah. yeah. And, it's and like, so that bad. is just ridiculous. But it's what we live with. Like, you know, I don't know. It. Like, we've grown up like this. We don't know any better. You know what I mean? It's just what yeah. it is. And I'm sure other countries are, like, ten times worse. And it's, yeah, it's so sad that exactly I'm giving out tips on how to stay safe about for going walking at night when guys do yeah. not even have to think about this stuff. 
Like, yeah. It doesn't even cross their minds. I have heard from a few men that I know that, yes, I know that, that they don't have to live like this, but they definitely, if they're walking at night, they don't want women to think some, like they're following them. You know, yeah. like so the innocent ones have to really watch how they are behaving because they don't want to scare anyone off or they don't want anyone to think that they're following anyone or, you know, like, which I know is a drop in the bucket compared to what we have to do, but like, yeah. Can I tell you, you know, with um this this Adrian guy, right, one of the stories, I think that once his face got out there, like people started coming forward saying that he, because I'm quite sure he had raped other women and they came forward after seeing his photo. And one in particular, right, I think that she was either walking home or something like that. She was a kind of backpack. I cannot remember, right, the exact story. But he actually saw her walking and he approached her like in his car and said listen there's a guy following you I'm a bit worried do you want to jump in and I'll drop you off at your house mm. and she was, thought was, like he, he was, was like creepy yeah she, well yeah. she thought like oh what a nice guy you know what I mean that he's seen this guy following me and he, she got in his car and he raped her oh my god like he was the guy in the car that said this yeah it's horrible. Yeah, it horrible. is absolutely horrible. But anyway, yeah. Crazy. That is a case of Jill Ma. So if you want to support the podcast, you can head to our website to purchase some merchandise. You can leave us a five-star review or you can buy some coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash caffeine, crime and canines. If you have a request you want us to cover, head to our website, leave a request in the request box or send us a message on Instagram. Our Instagram handle is at caffeine, crime and canines. And until next week. Until next week. Bye. Bye.